Welcome to the Green Element Podcast, where business and sustainability come together. So, hi, Tamar. Thank you very much for coming along to the Green Element Podcast. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you today because I mean, we met at the RWM um, exhibition and I'm now following you on LinkedIn and you're doing loads. You're doing loads and loads and loads of stuff of, uh, and not necessarily all environmental either, just loads of good stuff. And that is just brilliant to see. So uh, I'm really excited to hear more about what it is that you're up to, what your purpose is, what businesses that you run, you know, just learning a bit more about you. So therefore our listeners will inevitably learn more about you as well. Thank you very much for having me. So tell us, yeah, tell us a bit about um, your business and what your purpose is and... So I am um, based up in Newcastle. I run an environmental consultancy and training business called Inverlo Limited. Um, I set up just over three years ago. Um, and the, the whole purpose of the business really is to help businesses understand environmental management and sustainability. So kind of breaking through some of the jargon um, and slightly changing tack on environmental management to make it kind of business critical to helping them understand uh, legislation, which is a huge challenge for organizations, you know, what applies to their operations, what they're supposed to be doing and how they can not break the law and not cause pollution and not harm the environment, um, which kind of ties in with a risk management strategy, obviously helping them increase efficiency, increase staff engagement, but ultimately every little thing works towards enhancing the environment just from a not a purely environmental standpoint um i specialize in legislation iso 14001 environmental management systems environmental auditing um and also i'm an iema approved training provider so i deliver several courses that complement um environmental management and sustainability within businesses brilliant so to be um an iema approved um training what sort of what sort of people would you see coming onto your courses is it um is it people that care about the environment or is it just people that want to help their organization be more environmental or you know what actually it's it's quite a varied mix which is what i kind of love about it so um one of the courses that i run is the aima um sustainability skills for the workforce course which is a really cool course and because it's kind of an environmental course without being an environmental course and it's kind of a business course without being a, a business course um, but what it really aims to do is kind of change the way people think about their business operations so um, for people who are looking for kind of a qualification to support their environmental experience it's a great way to do that but um, what I found over the last couple of years with the transition to ISO 14001 I've had people coming on this course who would never normally have been engaged with environmental management and sustainability right. so i had a waste management company for example that sent their entire sales and marketing team through the course their entire our department through the course because what they realized was that in having everybody within these teams understand how sustainability applies to their operations it actually made their offering much stronger for their clients um Sometimes you get people, you know, and I love to start with the question, so, so why are you here? Sometimes you get, you know, oh, my boss told me I had to come on this course. But even by the end of it, you know, they're understanding how in their job roles, and that's whatever job role it is within an organization, how they can affect change, how they can buy in. 
Um, right. And I think what it does really well is it it hones into what we expect as consumers. So if you think about you know where you sit personally, what you expect business to be doing, and yeah. then it puts the shoe on the other foot and says, well, if you expect that from businesses, then as a business, why don't you try and meet that need? Because it's in fact your very mm. own need. <laughs> it's exactly yeah. what you want. Um, and it's really great. It's, it kind of doesn't bamboozle. Um, you know, there's not too much green talk. It's all very practical, very logical. Mm. That's what I love about it. It's sustainability actually makes perfect sense if you think about it logically. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Yeah, no, completely. I'm totally with you there. The, um, so you, you mentioned that, how many, I don't know whether I want to ask this because <laughs> I actually know what the answer I want to hear from you. Um, how many people are being made to, like, do you see most people wanting to do the courses? I think most people do want to. There's yes, a, there, that's there's what I wanted a, to hear. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's a tag on, you know, for people within organisations who have um, health and safety or kind of quality responsibilities, mm. um, although they might be skilled in how management systems work, how the ISO standards work, mm. they're kind of lacking in the environmental knowledge to, you know, successfully implement ISO 14001 and kind of run with it. So sometimes it's a bit of a tag on and people are like, oh, you know, it's a, it's a burden. It's just one more thing that I have to do. Um, but, you know, over the course of a two day training course, I can generally um, kind of change their mindset, give them the foundation knowledge and then help them understand actually how environmental management supports both quality and health and safety. And if you get the three right working mm -hmm. together, then life actually becomes infinitely easier. <laughs> Brilliant. Cool. Oh, I want to go on your course now. <laughs> and now I'm actually, I'm actually not too far away from you. I'm only about two hours away from you up in Edinburgh. Well, the next one's at the end of October, so uh, <laughs> you're very welcome. <laughs> Brilliant. So what would you say your business superpower was? Well, I kind of had a bit of time to think about this one, and I think it's quite a tricky one. So I think probably what what makes me stand out a little bit as a as an environmental consultant is that i genuinely love what i do and i'm very passionate about what i do and i think that my job is a privilege um you know getting to work with some of the organizations that i do and i i tend to get quite excited during what i do and i think probably my passion and enthusiasm is contagious mm. when i work with businesses so um I've had clients laugh at me so often when I go in and go like, environmental legislation is so much fun. We're going to have so much fun doing this. And they're like, you need to get out more, <laughs> have a bit more of a life. But by the end of it, they're like, oh, actually, yeah, you're right. It is kind of fun. It's really interesting. It's, it's good to know and understand how all of this applies um, to our operations. So um, probably, yeah, just maintaining a sunny disposition when talking about things that makes everybody else roll their eyes. Um. That's a brilliant superpower. That's a brilliant superpower. I love it. <laughs> but I think actually one of the other things, and this is quite critical to, to what I do as a consultant, is over the years, I feel that I've kind of mastered the art of talking about environment and sustainability sometimes without ever talking about the environmental sustainability mm. so probably what one of my biggest skills and one of my biggest success factors in getting you know clients to engage in environmental management is tapping into what matters to their business 
Mm. Not every business cares about the environment. Some of them think it's a greenwash or a, or a fad or a phase or, you know, just something that is extra hard work. Mm. But if you can tap into what they do care about, and again, it could be quality, it could be health and safety, it could be changing culture, it could be saving money, whatever they care about, then that's what we work with. It kind of still meets the same environmental and sustainability objectives, but it's less of a hard sell if they're not into environmental sustainability. That's brilliant. So, I mean, I would imagine that I, so how do you engage your um, start, your, you know, your customers and, and the people that you work with um, on, you know, on sustainability and, um, how do you, you know, I would imagine that your enthusiasm, that's what I was going to say to start off. <laughs> yeah, with. kind of an underlying current. <laughs> um, what, what, are there any tips or tidbits or, you know, that yeah. you can... Um, so when I start working with a new business and say, for example, they want to go kind of the full ISO 14001 systems implementation, um, Generally, what I do before we get into any of the technical stuff is run a couple of leadership workshops, or I call them leadership workshops, um, and try and get kind of a decent representation from the various teams within the organization. And that you know, can obviously vary depending on the, the size and the, the scale of their operations and the complexity of their operations. But at a minimum, obviously, your managing director, your finance director, the HR director, the health and safety director, you know, everybody who kind of sits at a high level, at a decision-making level. Um, and then I kind of run these workshops and what we do together, <laughs> so rather than me going in and telling them, is yeah. work as a team to define what the problem is and also come up with potential solutions. So I find that it's much more effective when it's their idea and all you have to do really is give them a platform to think about sustainability you know people don't often get a chance to sit around and table have a cup of coffee and just talk about the environment what matters what they care about and I find that actually making a little bit personal to begin with tends to help us then move forward more strategically and it helps with that kind of embedding into the organization that strategic direction that leadership um, and that ownership because I'm a big believer as a consultant that there is ultimately a point where my time ends <laughs> and the business has to go forward and um, it would devastate me to think that all this work that we've done would just fall short at the moment I'm not involved so you know handing no. that on to my clients is so important to me <laughs> it's got to be their idea it's got to be their baby <laughs> yeah yeah no I, that makes so much sense that's um that's brilliant that's brilliant to hear yeah no that makes an awful lot of sense it's um I guess it's getting empowerment, isn't it? It's getting and making sure that um, the organization that we're talking about is wanting to actually be more environmental. Therefore, you're empowering them to be more environmental by actually they're in charge. Yeah, 100% you are, in charge. You're a conduit. <laughs> yeah, I will support them, keep mm. them on track, make sure they're doing everything that they're supposed to do, mm. but they have to 100% drive it forward. Otherwise, we're doomed to fail from the beginning. Yeah, that's got longevity. It's not well. an option. <laughs> yeah, and it's got absolute longevity. Absolutely. You know? That's brilliant. So, 
What when it comes to running? I mean, I'm assuming that you are an ethical and sustainable business. Um, in fact, the fact that you're doing what you're doing. I mean, I know that you're obviously a sustainable business. But um, so, like, what would you say the biggest struggle? Um, what would be in running the business? Um, like, do you do you have to take flights, or you know, I'm trying to think of examples. Like, what would you say a strug- struggles were because um, knowing exactly what you do, I know what our struggles are, and I would imagine we're both probably sit both quite similarly. Um, so I'm just interested to hear, and I think it's nice for people to understand that actually there are questions that everyone has all the time, and there are answers that you may not necessarily like, but it's good to listen to what struggles that you've come across and how you've overcome them. Absolutely. Well, in terms of my own operations, you know, when we talk about significant aspects, I don't have that many. Um, When I originally set up, I quite naively thought that I didn't need anything other than my brain and a laptop to do what I do. Um, And obviously, over the course of the years, I've grown a little bit. I've needed more resources. Um, Kind of small you know, small choices, small decisions um, when setting up. So the one thing is I share an office space uh, in a managed building. Um, one of my biggest concerns was that was obviously the the communal area took care of all of the waste management. So um, I went and I made sure that we had licensed contractors kind of helping the building and all the other tenants, but just, you know, putting my mind to ease and saying, at least I understand exactly what's happening here. So it's the full duty of care. Um, is being followed through on my behalf and I'm fairly happy with that. Um, When I did need to buy equipment, I've purchased pretty much everything secondhand. Um, So, you know, through charity shops and through other businesses who were getting rid of resources. So my desk is secondhand, my chair is secondhand, my chest of drawers is secondhand, Um, you know, just trying to minimize the impact there. The biggest issue for me is travel. Mm. Um, So by, by nature of the job, I'm in my car a lot. Mm. Um, I have looked at kind of electric vehicles as an option, but unfortunately with the mileage that I do, it's just not viable. Mm. Um, But there are a couple of little tricks, you know, that I've kind of garnered. So meeting times are really important. Um, And nine o'clock meetings are generally not a great start because you just drive into traffic. So I find that 10 o'clock meeting, I avoid all of the traffic and it, you know, you can calculate how much it reduces your carbon footprint. Um, That's a brilliant excuse not to. <laughs> for a little lion. <laughs> I mean, I, I've, I I, that's awesome. <laughs> true, I can prove it though. <laughs> um, and obviously, things like this, you know, technology makes the world a difference. So, if you do have to travel, obviously, group your meetings as best as possible. Otherwise, mm. use Skype, you know, use the telephone, use email as far as possible, and just try and yeah. limit. Um, I haven't got to international travel yet, although hopefully one day. Um, (laughs) And then I suppose I'll just have to deal with that when I get there, figure out how to offset that. (laughs) Hopefully you don't make the mistake I made. So when I first started this, um, it was within the first couple of years. So it was back in 2006. I got asked by a company in New York to come and help them become more environmental. (laughs) My answer to them, and I can't (laughs) believe I said this, was... um, it's not very environmental for me to come to you. So therefore what I'll do is I'll come by boat. We'll work on the boat over to you and then work with you and then come back. 
needless <laughs> to say, I didn't get that job. <laughs> <laughs> I was so naive because I just truly believed that flying there was the worst thing that someone could do. And I felt slightly, I don't know, I just felt really bad that I was flying to do some environmental work. But you know what? Maybe I should have done, maybe I shouldn't have done. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I would have gone. I think I also would have suggested to them that they try and find someone a little closer to home. I did. I tried to. And they couldn't <laughs> find them. And there were and Americans actually charge a lot for consultancy. Uh, they look at our fees and they go, Wow. Oh, you're a bargain. <laughs> yeah, we were a bargain, even if I'd have flown. So but I think at that point anyway, to be honest with you, I wasn't in the right place. Look in that is how I've justified it to myself. I don't think I knew <laughs> so um looking at your um clients what would you say um when it comes to reducing environmental impacts and carbon footprinting would you say is one of their biggest challenges or frustrations i think it's i mean carbon footprints it, it, it depends on the organization um and i think probably the the first thing is to identify what their biggest impact is, but more importantly, which one they can kind of control or influence the most. So for a lot of businesses, procurement is probably where their biggest carbon footprint is, but depending on the organization, you know, it's just impossible or it's going to be a really big project, a really long-term project. And the idea of starting with that being absolutely terrifying and, you know, could, could, push it the other way could make it a deterrent um i love working with waste actually <laughs> waste management um again there's the two sides to it there's all of the legislation that kind of surrounds how businesses are supposed to manage their waste and the legislation is incredibly prescriptive um in terms of what businesses were supposed to be doing but somehow businesses don't really know that they don't really understand that so um, I think you can make, you know, quite dramatic improvements just by bringing waste management within an organization up to legal compliance. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, there's, there's always something better to do with waste, isn't there? <laughs> so it's one of those where they can physically see it, they can feel the financial benefits, and you can start to prove the carbon reduction fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. And once you get those wins, then it's easier to roll it out into to the different areas of the organization. Mm. Um, so probably in terms of reducing carbon footprint, I'd say waste is, is a quick win, requires little investment. I think when you start looking yeah. at procurement, um, operations, logistics, those are bigger cans of worms that might cost a little bit of money, but they need the incentive. They need to know that whatever they do is mm. going to work. So you've kind of got to prove it. Yeah. <laughs> crawl before you can walk <laughs> so i've got someone i'm going to introduce you to mike from topolytics he's trying to map the world's waste and because he realizes that no one knows where waste is going and where the waste is going so he's got um if you go to topolytics.com uh, but i'll introduce you after this um podcast and it's amazing what he's up to and i think you get on really well with him on um he's based actually out of edinburgh but um, yeah, I think you will end up talking talking waste to each other. Yeah, really <laughs> Who doesn't love talking waste? <laughs> it is really interesting. It is. <laughs> but it's such a problem, isn't it? You know, we. I mean, I think it's just the tip of the iceberg talking about plastic straws because, quite frankly, 
that's neither, as far as I'm concerned, neither here nor there, partly down to the fact that there's so little of them really in the whole scheme of things. And also there is the whole thing about the disability and people that actually do need straws. Yeah. So why aren't we tackling it from a very different, you know, angle of actually reducing that waste and going down um, less disposable stuff, um, not buying so much technology that just breaks after three years or changing our whole model into, I guess, the more circular economy model, which actually Mike is a part of the Ellen MacArthur Foundation and that circular economy because of exactly that. Exactly. I think one of the challenges for, for businesses, um, and again, I think it's quite important, you know, with the straws, there are legitimate needs for straws. And I think what tends to happen is when you talk environment, you kind of go too far towards the environment, whereas sustainability academically has a very different meaning, a very specific meaning. And it's that, that balance, that triple bottom line between people, planet and yeah. profit. And what yeah. you're constantly striving for is this you know, little sweet spot in the middle that actually meets all of those needs. Yeah. Um, and the straw, you know, does bring up that debate. Yes, there is a huge environmental impact, but there's also, um, you know, a legitimate social requirement for it. And I actually recently wrote a blog on, on straws but from a different perspective, uh, from a profit perspective. So I was having a, a big think about straw manufacturers and their business models and all of the jobs that depend, <laughs> you know, and all the people whose lives depend on the jobs within those straw factories if they were really thinking about sustainability, did they see this huge kind of shift in attitudes towards plastic stores and did they change their business model to adapt to that, to save those jobs, to protect mm. those livelihoods, to protect those communities and ultimately the sustainability of the business? And I think sometimes, you know, they get a bit narrow-minded without thinking about the bigger picture because there actually are a lot of characters at play here. And it's, as with everything in the environment, a far more complicated picture than it's oh, been man. in the beginning. <laughs> That's ridiculously complicated. The discussions we have at Green Elements are just bizarre. It's like, oh, can't we just make it, it more simple? I'm brain tired, but I love it. <laughs> and, like, how did you get into, you know, how did you get into the environmental world? What's, was there a tipping point? Or was it, you know, was there a trigger that you went, you know what? Or was it something where you brought up? I, I think it has a lot to do with my upbringing. Right. I grew up in South Africa. Um, and in South Africa, you know, I had the advantage whenever I went on a summer vacation, it was to the game reserves. Uh, we were taught a lot about conservation, how people depend on the environment, how there's a carrying capacity to land and everything has to kind of work together for everything to survive. Um, and it is this constant... Um, kind of balancing act between people and the environment and trying to be respectful in both ways. So I don't think I've ever known anything different. Um, from a very young age, I was, <laughs> actually my first career aspiration was to be a mermaid. That's what I really wanted to do. <laughs> I just wanted to be in, on, or under the sea for the rest of my life. Um, and it, it, it's funny and slightly weird, um, but I do think it kind of drove a lot of the decisions that I made. So um, pretty much every job I've had since I was you know, 14, my first job was walking dogs at a kennel, has been 
conservation, animal husbandry, I've worked at the shark board in the Natal, I've worked at the bird sanctuary, I've worked at the sea life sanctuary, right. um, I've done, you know, conservation work in and around Newcastle. So I always thought I was going to go that route. Mm. Well, I always knew I was going to go that route, um, but it wasn't until university. And in fact, even when I did my master's that I didn't understand exactly how I was going to do it. Yeah. Um, and I think I found, I, I think of it as like strategic conservation. So, you know, me as one person, I can only make so much of a difference. But using my clients, using, working with my clients, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> we can make much bigger, you know, changes um, and much more, you know, far-reaching kind of impact. So I thought there was every opportunity I'd end up working in a zoo, not in an office, but uh, <laughs> I love what I do anyway. <laughs> you know what? You're only young. You may end up, you know, <laughs> you have a career change in 10, 15 years' time. I don't know. <laughs> I'll practice with the hedgehog first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to bring that into... Um, Sam has got a bunch of hedgehogs that she's looking after and I was lucky enough to be able to see them um, <laughs> oh, maybe you should bring maybe you should bring the little one that you brought should I bring the hedgehog yes why not so why not? this is I am not hog napping to clarify um, these are autumn juveniles baby hedgehogs that I found in my garden um, last week over the course of a couple of days they were just born really late in the season. So for October, they should be about 600 grams. And these little babies weigh about 250 grams, which means if left out in the wild, they would certainly not survive winter. So I brought them inside and I'm going to keep them warm and um, get them through winter and then hopefully release them back into the garden next spring. But I will grab one little hoggy. They're not going to love me. <laughs> they like sleeping. <laughs> oh, it's so amazing. We've just moved into, um, or we're just about to move into a house and um, I've never really had a garden before and it's really made me want to, I, I want, you know, I'd love to be able to help and do what Tamar's doing and helping a um, hedgehog and because um, I've reading recently that they are an endangered species, which Tamar was confirming and that... Um, she was also saying that there are very few, if any, in the... You were saying there are very few, if any, in the countryside. There's no hedgehogs in the countryside. I think they found a small pocket down south, maybe around Surrey. Um, but other than that, it seems to be urban hedgehogs and gardens that are saving it. I went to an event a couple of weeks ago that Chris Packham was doing about this idea called rewilding, you know, just returning nature back to the way it's supposed to be. Um, and there's been a 97% decline in hedgehog species since 1960. Which makes it even more important that you're doing what you're doing. 3% remains. It's really easy to do, by the way, to get them into your garden. You just need to put a house and some mealworms out and they'll come. <laughs> like, We're going to do that. Do it. We're going to do that. <laughs> this is um, blue. I've been very creative with the names. So to try and ID the hedgehogs, I um, spotted them with nail polish just painted a quill on each of them um, <laughs> and they are now named for their colors so I have red gray blue and teal <laughs> teal that's interesting teal. <laughs> why teal um that was the only color that would have stood out against the other three <laughs> uh, okay <laughs> um but yeah these little babies are really sweet they're really healthy I've been weighing them twice a day and uh they're getting fat and they just 
sleep all day. I think what it does is it really brings home what it is that we're doing. I think, you know, we both work in the business world and we work, both work trying to help corporations and organizations become more environmental. And what you've done is you've, you've not, you've humanized it, but you've hedgehogized it. Made it more real. <laughs> this is what we're trying to do, isn't it? I mean, this, the knock on effect is to try and help um, population within nature um, grow and survive and not be so dominated by human species. So I think, I think it's, it's brilliant what you've done, what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> kind of through last week off kilter a little bit. I wasn't expecting it, but, um, <laughs> but they're totally worth it. They're lovely. <laughs> I'll let you put them away now. Away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll let it. Bye, Blue. <laughs> Bye, Blue. <laughs> Yeah, Chris Packham's an amazing um, person. We saw that BBC documentary on Chris Packham. Mm -hmm. And funnily enough, we, we were watching it because my other half is an occupational therapist right. for kids with Asperger's and autism. And that was the reason why we were watching it, because he was openly discussing how he had grown up through TV with Asperger's. And um, I bet he was fascinating to talk to. He lives in the New Forest doesn't He's he? so passionate mm. about the environment and, and especially this concept of rewilding and, and what I love about it is it's not, you know, not on a mammoth scale. He's not saying stop doing everything that you are doing, just be more considerate and, you know, even mm. little pockets, little patches. I mean, my garden's the size of a postage stamp. <laughs> There's not a lot there, but I've got a hedgehog. I've got everything in there is planted for the bees and the butterflies for the pollinators. I've put a pond in the summer, so I'm going to try and support, you know, dragonflies and amphibians. It's tiny, you know, but it, it's making the world of, of difference mm. to at least my local population. And if every little pocket did that, it would be mm. a, you know, a massive game of join the dots for a large scale improvement. Mm. He was incredible. He was so great. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah, I bet. I'd love to. He lives in the New Forest, doesn't he? I think he lives quite close to a friend of a friend of ours um, down that way. He couldn't remember the last time he'd seen a hedgehog. Really? He said he remembers them as a child, but not as an adult. Couldn't said in excess possibly of ten years. Right. Oh, well. And I'm spoiled. I mean, I see them every night. I've got the four babies inside. Last night I had three in the garden. Mm. You know, he almost takes them for granted. They seem to be thriving here, but actually the, the story is not the same across the UK. Well, maybe um, I'll let you know next this time next year how we've gone. Do any hints or tips? I'd be happy to offer. <laughs> Wicked, cool. Well, listen, it's been brilliant at talking to you. Um, and I guess the last thing I just want to quickly ask you is: Is there anything you can think of for people to take away and do? And after this podcast, yes, I think in terms of environmental management or contributing or one of the things um iso 14001 the new standard introduced was this term environmental enhancement which i really really like because it's not about managing it's about doing something a little bit better um i'm very much of the opinion that doing something is doing better than nothing and i know that when we talk about you know the bigger issue of sustainability it can sometimes be a little bit intimidating 
it can sometimes seem a little bleak and you can sit back and go, well, I'm just one person, you know, what could I possibly do to make any difference to this? Um, and I think that that is what needs to change every little bit, you yeah. know, every little positive action, every contribution is so, so much better than doing nothing. Yeah. Something rather than do nothing. When you're in a business, start small, go for the easy wins, prove that it is business critical as opposed to a nice to have. Yeah. And um, like I said, think about what you expect as a consumer and apply those expectations to the way that you run your business, what you think your consumers would probably want. Totally agree. Brilliant. So we will put um, all of the information about you and where we can find you, etc., on our website um, and the podcast notes. Um, is there anything in particular you want to mention about that? Um, you know, where to find you, what, where you are, who you are? Um, I'm based in Newcastle. Um, so most of the training and consultancy that I work, you know, work that I do here is around the Northeast. Um, I do think that the, the IEMA Sustainability Skills course is an excellent course. And I think for any business who is um, embarking on an environmental sustainability journey or is kind of, you know, stuck, you know, things have been, we've got as far as we can and now we need to step it up a gear. Um, I'm a big believer in training, actually. Education, communication, all of that engagement comes through knowledge, through understanding how environment sustainability and business are continuously interacting. Um, I think I've provided details of my website, is imbellolimited.co.uk and my email and mobile number. And I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So I would love it if anybody wanted to find me uh, to have a chat, shoot the breeze about waste management or hedgehogs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> whatever takes your fancy. <laughs> Brilliant. And they will be infected by your enthusiasm. <laughs> and um, yeah, if you want to go on a course, I mean, I'm, you know, who better? The enthusiasm that you're exuding is phenomenal. <laughs> it's love really... of the day, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on and chatting to us, Tama. It's been absolute pleasure. Thank you. Will, thank you so much for having me. I've loved it. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. We created this podcast for you. So we'd really appreciate any feedback you want to give us. You can do that by rating and reviewing on your favourite podcast or for iTunes, visit www.greenelement.co.uk forward slash Apple. If you'd like to keep in touch, then we invite you to join our free Facebook community, which is everything to do with sustainable and ethical business. Lots of daily conversations, themes and great ideas. A really great place to work and network with like-minded individuals. If you open Facebook and search for The Green Element, hit the group search function, we will let you right in. All of the show notes, any links, any references to the, on this podcast will be featured on our website, greenelement.co.uk. As a special thank you for listening, please head over to www.greenelement.co.uk forward slash podcast 2018 and you can pick up a free guide on how to green up and environmentalise your business or organisation. That's greenelement.co.uk forward slash podcast 2018. 
Finally, I would like to thank Ben Chatwin for writing the fantastic opening music. He is an amazing artist with a phenomenal following. It was a privilege he said yes to even write it for us. We look forward to seeing you next week and hope you have a wonderful day.